Hello and welcome to Design Emergency. I'm Alice Rosthorn, co-founder of Design Emergency with Paola Antonelli, and I'm thrilled to meet one of the most important forces in contemporary craft, the great Kenyan-born, UK-based ceramicist, Magdalena Dundo. Magdalene, welcome. Thank you very much, Alice. Thank you for inviting me. So as well as being technically and formally accomplished, Magdalene's work is rooted in a deeply personal and sophisticated understanding of the constantly changing politics of cultural identity, both from a contemporary perspective and in terms of the ancient ceramic traditions of Africa, Asia and Central America. She was born in Nairobi in 1950 and spent her childhood there and in India before moving to the UK to study art, first in Cambridge, where she flung herself into student debates on identity politics, and then is what is now the University for the Creative Arts in the Surrey market town of Farnham. As a student, Magdalene embarked on the first of many research trips to study traditional approaches to making ceramics in the Global South. She has since applied her interpretations of the traditional forms, finishes and making methods she observed to produce pots with impeccable shapes, finishes and incisive political subtexts. Magdalene's work has belonged to major museum collections for many years, including the British Museum and V&A in London, the Art Institute of Chicago and the Met in New York, but recently its value has soared. Magdalene still lives and works in the same place in Farnham, where after years of dedicated teaching, she's now Chancellor of the University for the Creative Arts. So Magdalene, beginning at the beginning, how did you discover ceramics and why did you decide to focus on them? I discovered ceramics really by chance. And the chance was I was on um, a foundation course in Cambridge and happened to walk into the ceramics department as part of our um, foundation courses for various, uh, in, in various disciplines. And started working with clay from a pinch pot, but also loved, I think it was because I loved working with the lady who was in charge of the ceramics department because she had come from Zimbabwe and we had uh, some common uh, stories about Africa and pre-colonial and colonial and those identity um, subjects that uh, were relevant to each other. And it became almost like knitting. You went went in there to, to find Um, somebody who had more to do with values and ideas that um, emanated from upbringing. And then while you, you know, we we were chatting away, you know, she'd be showing me how to manipulate clay. And so it became a material that I subconsciously was working with, but trying to figure out who I was and what, why I had come in, I had come to England to embark on a course that I had researched in while I was in Kenya, but had very little knowledge of of clay because I had come in as a graphic and commercial artist. So it was much more um, that and the fact that I I realized, again, 
by chance that the material was much more sympathetic to my fingers and my my creative in you know sort of creativity with the hand the ability to manipulate that clay i also found clay was temperamentally very sympathetic to my temperament and so the the, the two collided but also synchronized with my thinking my whole personality as opposed to commercial art that I had come to, to make, which was much more the notion of a profession that I was going to go back to and make money and enable me to live, you know, sort of a cushy, comfortable life. I was kind of, I, I became more interested in this discovery of a material that was so simple but also enabled me to think, be creative, look at the conceptual ideas, but also become immersed, immersed in it from the beginning to what looked like the end as well. So Magdalene, what do you mean by saying that you felt that clay was in sync with your character? I think because I was able to, to think about form to think i was starting to think more sculptural more holistic in in the way i i would approach making whatever i was making if i was if if we had a project to do with uh architectural tiles and murals which was one of the 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 briefs that we got I would be thinking of the tactile qualities of a tile that you were going to make. So I was thinking of touch, feel, and visually how it would look, not just because it was a tile that was going to go onto um, the sculptural piece board that we were all making. I was thinking of all these other things to do with observation, to do with, you know, with feel, to do with why, you know, I was questioning why would you just make a flat tile as opposed to a tile that if somebody who was, um, you know, sort of unknowledgeable about a building would actually have a sensibility of, seeing raised um, symbols that might read um, like graph, like, you know, sort of uh, geometric, but also have other meanings for for the individual. So I would start, I, th I think it was enabling me to think and conceptually have a, 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 a philosophy within me of why I was embarking or why I was making a, um, a, a statement of that kind. And it just started as early as that. It was not to do with just a pinch part. It was to do with design that was functional either for the brain or functional as a, a piece of utilitarian 
object. So it, it, I think it gave me much more expansiveness in, 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 in the broader aspect of wanting to know more, wanting to discover and wanting to, um, to, to have some de dexterity in my fingers that translate. It's hard to kind of be, um, to be wordy about it, but I think it just opened up a way of making, a way of thinking, a way of establishing that creativity and manifesting it in into objects as opposed to the flat advertising notion of wanting to sell and wanting to change people's way of observing things because there was a, a reward after that. And when did Africa's rich ceramic heritage become a, a focus of your work and to influence your your ways of making? You know, it's later later on, and even today, uh, after after forty forty five years of making, that I realized how important my early childhood was. You know, sort of how important. The, the idea, the notion of handling material and handling pottery, handling utensils that were made in clay that became part and parcel of my making um, and, and, and thought process in the making because I handled a lot of um, when particularly I was, although I was born in Nairobi, we always went back to Western Kenya where my antecedents came from. And there it was still very, very rural. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have aluminum pots and pans. It was all handmade ceramics. So when you went to the river to fetch water, I would have to carry an earthenware piece of uh, pottery to go and get water in it. I would learn how to balance it on my head and walk from the river to the to the compound uh, or to the village that I came from. So I think, you know, and then when we ate, we ate, with, you know, on these ceramics uh, works. But also when we were in India, I saw a lot of, um, you know, we used a lot of ceramics that that um, were, were brought in by the people who worked in the house. So I think it was a, 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 a subconscious, a natural thing that, a natural aspect of knowing and having practiced um, or having had these things, these objects around me. And I remember very clearly at my own parents' funerals where ceramics were used during the rites of passage when, when sadly they passed away. So these, these, the use of those objects might not have been obvious if I had stayed, if I had remained in the commercial art and, and advertising. I think that would have been um, a way of creativity that was much to do with my education 
and much to do with my very Western way of perceiving art, whereas ceramics or with clay or even textiles or basket weaving were embedded perhaps in my psyche without knowing. And I, I've come to appreciate that a lot more, both physically and, both, and, and spiritually as well. They both had a lot to do with why I ended up working with ceramics. Did you also find that you were able to express your interest in identity politics through your work in as a ceramicist? Or did that realisation come later? On reflection, and one can be only very retrospective in the way you, you, you think at the moment of what went before and why. Uh, I think I always felt as a child because of the the uh, different stages of of experiences that I had as a child that this need to to assert who I was 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 accidental in many ways because of condition because of what happened in the family but also because I probably had and 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 it's 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 really theoretical in a way of thinking, but I probably had this instinct where I wanted to to make things to identify who I was within um a group of siblings who i you know I sat in between two boys who bullied me probably. Um, but I sided very much with um, wanting to be who I was right from, or I'm told by my elder brother that I was very much fighting to to assert who I was uh, right from the beginning. But in the work itself, I'm pretty sure, I think I wasn't very conscious of why I decided to to hand build work, especially uh, later on through the the researches or uh, and travel um, journeys and visits to workshop, why I ended up deciding to actually uh, hand build rather than work on the wheel or make uh, jigger jollied or uh, uh, huge productions of work. I think I realized that. Uh, the crafts, the 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 um, lean towards introducing new technologies into the making of work was always introduced in colonial days for men to generate perhaps work, but also to educate men rather than women. And I think by the time, you know, sort of, um, in a way, don't, you know, sort of, I'm conscious that I was brought up during that colonial period, I, I probably would have observed that. And I just felt very strongly that the, the, the women's art, the women's worth was not really appreciated. And I decided to work in that 
way to celebrate rather than to assert. And at first it was celebrating this wonderful way of uh, seeing all these pots, all these baskets that were bring, being brought to marketplaces that were made by women. And yet when you had new studio introduction, introductions to new studio, sort of Western or Oriental way of, of um, generating or introducing factories in a way, it was only men who were included in that. So I think, you know, uh, I, I know it's rumbling on, but it might have been embedded in, in, in my thoughts and in the way that I, I thought it was, it was important, really. It was very important to me. And you never ramble. So, um, and from a practical perspective, when you started out as a potter, what were your expectations of your career? Did you see yourself as part of the British tradition of independent studio potters, or did you define your practice differently? I I wasn't, to be honest. Once I decided to work in in ceramics, what I'm I realized is I actually had absolutely no clue as to what I was doing I was going to do with 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 all that uh, knowledge because I especially once I moved to Farnham to do my first degree I I really was not aware I just wanted to work it it seems like I wanted to learn how to make work and be able to make work that had an identity that would define who I was and where I came from without actually being very academic about it. The thinking came later. So I really wasn't sure what, what career I was going to, to embed myself in. All I knew is that if I had the skill, I would go back to Kenya and be able to teach or set up a, a workshop in which I would work with other people. I didn't realize that later on I would actually become a very individual artist and want to explore um, my work as an individual maker. So I think there's an element of chance, accident, and <laughs> and serendipity with 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 all what I did in the early days. And so when did you realise that you could be an independent artist working with Clay and that that was what you wanted to do? I think very much in 1982 when I was just about to leave the Royal College of Art. Because I'd spent, I'd gone to, into the Royal College of Art uh, as... Um, I was going to do an MA in ceramic. I think I was going to do an MA by project, which meant I was going to do a lot, a lot more experimental uh, work doing, you know, I was going to explore what clay did. I was going to explore uh, mold making and then, you know, go into production because that's what I thought I would do when I got to Kenya and it I think it in at the end of my um, 
first term in the second year of the Royal College and I was really lucky we did three years. Um, I had a tutorial where um, I think there was a debate, there was a discussion as whether I would become a better teacher or I'd be, I'd be able to set up this workshop if I went back to Kenya, if I also made work and made work that could perhaps sit comfortably in a gallery. And I think from then on, I decided to, to do the research in clay, but make work through, you know, with the clay that I was researching. I brought some clay from Kenya and I used clay from uh, Stoke-on-Trent. In the end, I decided all I needed to know was the technology, the, the technical aspect, the science and the geology of knowing what the material did. And then in the making, I discovered that if I did have that knowledge, I was able to make the work that I, I ended up making because I had the knowledge of the material. So the two worked together. And it's only at the end of um, my last my last the end of the first term of my last year that i then discovered this kind of eureka moment where i thought yeah i just want to make my own work and how would you describe the defining qualities of your pots i mean they are extraordinarily beautiful and obviously their construction and fabrication is highly sophisticated to me, they seem very distinctive. Um, you will obviously have a much more nuanced view of each of them. So what are, do you think are their key qualities and how have those qualities evolved over the years? Pooh, that's usually the, mo the most difficult <laughs> um, uh, part of any interview that I've done in terms of you know, because I I can never really define, I can never talk through, you know, sort of what I'm making, because, you know, sort of my whole sense of making, my whole practic practice is based on making these objects as vessels that say what I want to say embedded in, you know, sort of contained in the, the the vessels that I make on the inside and on the outside. And I find that the making process enables me to visualize the 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 concept that I had that I had drawn in the in the sketchbook, I I just find it really hard to answer that question, and I've always <laughs> <Yes>. found <laughs> I've always found it. <laughs> Why don't we try to address it a different way? If we break down the design and making process, yes, you say you begin with with sketches, and so the next step, I mean, the clays that you used, you always use the same clay, and if so, why, or do you vary it for, for different parts? I don't, uh, thank you for breaking it down, because <laughs> I think it might be easier to talk, to talk about it that way. I've always drawn, I've always, right from the beginning, because I started off as an apprentice 
in an advertising agency and and the the you know at the age of 18 and i went into this industry where the language was on paper you had to kind of if 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 the creator in chief came to you to say we are doing a poster for um, blood donors uh, campaign and I want you to do that. You had you you didn't have words in which to explain to him, or he didn't have words in which to explain to you what wanted. Everything was done through drawing, so drawing was always an important part of my practice. When I went to Cambridge on foundation, it was emphasized by the fact that I knew very little about ceramics and clay, and so I had to to um, talk through with the teacher what I wanted to make by by saying this is the form I wanted to make. You couldn't say it, you, you could draw it. And so now my practice is I will sketch, I will think, I will be outside looking at things, I'd come back into my sketch with my sketchbook or I would have drawn outside and then I would extract information from that into a vessel you know and and if I've drawn plants and I've drawn a swan or uh, something like that I would then come and kind of extract that information and make you know sort of and all all the time I'm always thinking 3D I'm always thinking vessels anyway whether I look I listen to music or I'm walking out about I see shape I see form that way so I'll put that in a sketchbook and then I will start making from the base I'll start making work I will then refer again to my sketchbook and then come back to to making and that way I find I can I can think of whether you alter the shape or um, you it, it, it you know both affirm each other and both work together and then sometimes I finish my uh, it, when I finish work I will actually draw the work as an aid memoir of what I made so it's, it's a little bit complicated. So that's the kind of design making process. There's an there's a point when I actually don't look at the sketchbook and I concentrate on the, on, on the ceramics. And this is because I am not making production work. Once I've made my, my, my skeleton, I'm then more concerned about sculpting what will become an individual piece of work. So though I'm, I, I've kind of gone through the process of designing, I then become much more individualistic. I don't want to say more sculptural, but much more um, indulgent almost in what I want the piece to, 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 to say or speak, hope, hoping that when an, an outsider or a viewer sees the work, they'll be astonished or amazed at what happened in the process of making.
And what is the process of, of making, of physically working the clay with your hands? I think very much to do with pull, you know, pinching, p- pulling, uh, adding clay, taking off clay, sculpting the inside, pushing the out inside, on to out, pushing from inside to make volume, volume that kind of volume that would be felt from the inside but seen on the outside so that um my, my aim is to kind of have an equal uh wall of clay that become architect that that is almost architectural because you're building um a shelter for your ideas and so you have a wall, you know, sort of the the, the the thinning out, using tools to push the clay out, to create a to create a vessel, to create something that contains, but also uncontains. Because when you look at, we live in a house, but when you go outside, you have the house, the, the notion of the inside of a house by looking on you know at the outside but really what is important is that you're inside this chamber that you've created through the notion of architecture or vernacular uh, whether you know shelters or um it's almost like you know sort of a very akin to a bird making a nest or uh, a silkworm making a cocoon, you know, you, you, you work from inside, but also from outside. You know, the actual process of making from, um, for me, in, in, in the air, which is what I'm doing now, I, I again, I find very difficult because I'm not work. You know, when you're when you're making work on a wheel, you can kind of describe, you can say you put a lump of clay on the wheel, you center it, and then you put a hole on it and you pull up and, you know, uh, build up the wall that way. When you're hand building, there's a similar process, but you're actually opening this clay out without the momentum of any other um, tool helping you. So the tools you have is yourself, your your central part. It's almost like a dancer, you know, sort of they're emanating, they're, they're, they're creating movement through this core central aspect, the spine and the, 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 the volume that you contain as a human being to, to create movement. And so you're, you're pulling out clay from a lump of clay then shaping it using your your tools that you have, which are ribs. And I use either plastic ribs that are made of coconut sh- from coconut shells or from goods. And then I will actually use the same tools to smooth and push from the outside to contain that central, that void that I've uh, an emptiness that I've created or that I'm creating for the inside. And then, you know, sort of uh, in, in pottery terms, you have 
the body and the, the neck. And then you have all these appendages that you add on, which are handles and finishing up with a rim that separates what a container is from what um, a figurative sculptural work would be because that is completely closed and it has no opening except you put a hole so that it doesn't blast out in a kiln. Process is obviously essential to your work in practical terms but also has a tremendous impact on the aesthetics of the pot by defining the colours, the finish and and so on. So can you talk us through that? Well, the firing is, uh, the reason why I dislike the firing is you have no control, where you have a little control, but um, what happens in there is just too hot for you to 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 uh, manipulate. Unlike, unlike glass makers who love blowing, you know, sort of hot glass and molten glass. The, the firing process, I have two firing processes, one that yields the, the terracotta red colors that is monochromatic and it's one firing and then i have the firing that generates the um the 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 black and sometimes you know the variegated colors now that that process is a process the second process is a process that i really developed um at the royal college of art and it started Notionally, when I was at in my last year of my first degree at Farnham, and then really developed as uh, uh, I, I was thinking at the time that I wanted to have a firing process that will not um, be um, forbidding in terms of cost when I got back to Kenya because I was always going to go back and set up. And so I wanted to to mimic the attic ware, uh, the Gre Greco-Romano attic ware, the early uh, sort of what used to be called pre-Columbian but southwest coast um, uh, Santa Fe kind of Mexican way of working and the open firings that were really the common way of firing in generally uh, uh, most countries in Africa and Africa is a big you know is a continent um, the north of Africa had already um, worked with kiln firing so they were already uh, working with galena glazes and low firing, but I wanted to find this medium in which the work that was being made by women in in the villages would would be celebrated, and I would celebrate them. But at the same time, I would improve the the fragility, and I would improve the firings that they were making. So I had this, you know, I I started working in in with sagas where I, I introduced the, the early sort of, eight, you know, 1800s, the way they were firing in Stoke-on-Trent with sagas, but introducing 
fuel in the sagas to create um the blood and i didn't i didn't you you know after after two years of glaze research i abandoned the great glazes because i started making these individual pieces of work and then it became much more a pursuit for the surfaces to work with the forms that i was making and to make the firing and and and, and to create a firing that complemented the work because I now had abandoned abandoned the use of glaze, so I, 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 I needed to create a palette that replaced the the hundreds and hundreds of glazes that people use to to embellish their own work. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. And are you still experimenting with different ways of firing? Is your process still evolving? Yes, it is. And especially now that I have a new kiln, I'm, I'm really sort of experimenting with a new kiln because the old kiln, I was able to get these very metallic firings between the metallic blacks and also the, the uh, matte blacks. Now, I've been, you know, with this new kiln, I'm experimenting on how I can reintroduce the, the, the oxidized bits that create much more um, like a, 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 a horizon in the sky that, you know, they, they become much more um, painted, you know, sort of as if they're, they've been painted um rather you know sort of a palette that that makes them look like um they come from a you know sort of if you looked at a section it would be like a painting rather than uh a glaze mark or something like that but again whenever it comes to techniques and what i'm doing it's you know i find it very difficult to, to be descriptive about it i you know i almost want to just handle the piece and and show the person what what I mean, but I think the the kiln, although I'm I I actually hate firings, um, it it it's really an in, essential aspect of my work because it finishes the work, it defines the work, it defines the pieces, and it actually makes them so I hope so Magdalene Odundo as opposed to any other piece of work. And I think that's what's, what's been very interesting because the work is, is, is so different from any other work, I hope. And it absolutely is. I mean, as a, a non-potter who loves um, beautiful pots, one of the things that always intrigues me about making ceramics is the contradiction between the violence and ferocity of the making process, whether you're pulling and pummeling the clay with your hands or the intense, potentially destructive heat of the firing and then the fragility of the the end product is that something you dwell on i think i i i do but i i i always have this aspiration of creating the this this very this very fragile body 
of work that echoes the fragility of uh, 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 diva dancer or a, <laughs> a, a, a ballerina or an acrobat uh, who does these amazing movements and then you know they pirouette and then they stand on their their toes in this and and that moment in which there's a static performance that if if they twirled too far on their one foot or, or you know thrown in the air it could be dangerous it's that moment of danger that is very attractive between the clash of beating a piece of pot putting it in the firing, anticipating whether it actually arrests that moment that you wanted to create in the work. And I enjoy making and I, you know, sort of, although I, I, I fight with the, the, the firing, I know that it, you know, it helps to make that dancer of a part in in, in 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 creating that movement that I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to create without without the fire licking and touching the work. So it's 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 that dance between the fragile, the 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 accidental, but also creating the static piece of work that that you know is fragile and the fragility is induced by the human touch they're 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 very strong if they're treated nicely and treated well but if you just put it on a shelf and let your cat kind of walk over it of course it's fragile if you don't pack it well it doesn't arrive where you wanted it to to go to because it has this living fragility in it and it's it's i i i really think my my pieces are like human beings you know human beings are very fragile you don't know uh what's going to happen tomorrow and although we think we know it all we are very fragile in that way and I just love the notion that I might be creating that and you know I don't have to you know I like telling who I am through the parts and that fragility that I don't want to actually for people to see in me I want it I want them to see in the part so yes they have um, essentially parts have have this dialogue this kind of clash between it but it's century centuries old and we've continued to make whatever we 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 create in plastic and in recycled material and whatever ceramics clay parts will always exist in our lives through being born and through you know uh, the fragility of dying as well you know you get buried in a pot in the ground in a 
Absolutely. In recent years, the value of your work has soared at at auction, and the price is sorry. In recent years, the value of your work has soared at auction. Has this made any difference to your practice? Not at all. Because <laughs> I re- <laughs> not at all because uh, the secondary market and auction houses has really nothing to do with with me. It has not a. It does. I think from the outside it might be, but you know the the pieces that are uh, are going in auction in auctions are pieces that I made. You know, sort of maybe ten years into my making process, so they're fifteen, twenty years old, and they really um, and they're not mine. They're pieces that I don't own. So it's it's a a, a a a kind of a process that I'm not involved with. I I continue to make work for exhibitions and for projects. I've never really worked in a in a um, never had such a, a a gallery as such where I'm kind of producing work day in day out. These are projects that concern me a lot more. I want to continue working that way and I continue doing that so I have nothing to do with the auction houses (laughs) (laughs) yes it probably has impacted on what my my work sells at now but it it isn't something that I had in mind when I started making the work I'm I'm sure. And what are you working on now? And what are your ambitions for the future? Well, what I'm working on now is very sort of hush-hush because (laughs) they're going to kind of appear in the projects that I'm making. I have uh, exhibitions, ongoing exhibitions, but I'm also doing a a, a couple of collaborations. My aspirations for the future is really to just continue working with um, institutions. Uh, I love the idea of exhibiting in 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 galleries that have different collections. I like the idea of working perhaps in stately homes, but perhaps one day working on a big exhibition that will tour in Africa. Um, in you know, uh, especially in East Africa and maybe uh, Southern Africa, w- which is where I come from, um, and just you know, sort of continuing to make work, really. Well, long may that continue, Magdalene. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us so generously. It's been wonderful talking to you, and thank you to everyone for listening. You can find images of some of the pots that Magdalene has referred to on our Instagram feed, Design.Emergency. We look forward to welcoming you back to Design Emergency soon, when we'll be talking to another incredible force in design now and in the future. Goodbye, Magdalene, and thank you, and goodbye. Everyone. Thank you very much and thank you for allowing me to ramble on. <laughs> <laughs>